Our gospel reading for this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I would invite you to stretch your legs and stand with me. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. And so they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone, who, everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk, but you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and the disciples believed in him. This is a word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Most often, when I have heard this text preached, it's the giving of Jesus that gets focused on. Jesus' miraculous moment where he turns water into wine for a family who is trying to throw a wedding celebration for their friends and family and neighborhood, and they run out. Perhaps it's right that we focus on this sign at least most of the time. After all, it is the first sign of seven that the author tells us he, uh, Jesus does in the Gospel of John. And these signs are an attempt to prove Jesus' identity to the reader, his special relationship to God, and also to all of us as the Messiah for the whole world. But today, it is the giving of this family, this couple, that intrigues me. It's the giving of this couple and their family and how Jesus ultimately honors their gifts that I think might have a word for us today. It's very likely that this family of honor at this wedding and perhaps even their acquaintances and their whole village didn't have a lot to give far less than probably almost any one of us in this room. A wedding in antiquity was usually a pretty elaborate affair. It was a sacred event, maybe like our weddings today. It emphasized the relationships that were being established between families and the village they were a part of and the God that they worshiped. You invited everyone you knew to these celebrations. The party would go on not just for one day, but for a week or more at a time. The family would provide all the food and all the wine, and other guests would often come bearing food and wine to contribute to the gathering. Running out 
and cutting the celebration short, well, that would have been an embarrassment. And so generally that didn't happen unless you didn't have a lot to give to begin with. And it must have been embarrassing, or at least a cause for concern, this family running out of wine, because we read that as soon as Mary finds out, she runs to Jesus and she asks him to do something about it. Now, as I read this story, I couldn't help but feel my modern-day sensibilities begin to kick in. The financial values I was taught as a child growing up. Why would this family throw an elaborate celebration like this if they knew they didn't have a lot to offer? Give their best wine and their best food, perhaps all of their wine and all of their food, if they knew there was a pretty good chance they'd run out. I remember when I was a kid receiving as a gift my first piggy bank It was this cute porcelain little white piggy bank with colored hearts all over it. And I was gifted it when I began earning an allowance for doing chores around the house. At the end of every week on Friday, if I did all of my chores, I would earn four quarters. And my parents, they had three rules for how I was to use these four quarters. Two quarters for you. One quarter to feed the pig, and one quarter for anyone else who might be in need. It was always in this order. They taught me, one, that it was okay to spend, but never everything you have. You always save a little, and if there is some left over, you give to someone who is not as fortunate as you are. These are the three guiding principles that have, by and large, guided my decisions on how I spend and give in my lifetime. They successfully bought me my first car. They put me through college. They helped me become the full-grown adult you see standing before you right now that, by and large, can make her own way in the world. But they also introduced me to some larger existential questions about what it means to be a person who gives. And some generalized anxiety. I quickly learned that giving can be quite a complicated thing. My mom would take my sister and I to the grocery store, and while we were in the checkout line, she would let us pick out a piece of candy, and we always picked out the peanut M&Ms because we loved them so much. They were our favorites. And my mom, because I was the oldest, would put me in charge of making sure that those peanut M&Ms got distributed equitably between the two of us. We would get in the car, I would tear open the bag, I would peer inside, and staring me in the face was a major dilemma. See, because my sister and I, we both coveted the blue M&Ms, those ones that happen so far and few between in the bag. And I had a choice to make in that moment as the one who held on to the goods. I knew that I had to share something to give my sister the proverbial quarter, if you will. But did I really have to give her the very best of what I had? 
Would she know that I was lying if I told her that there were no blue peanut M&Ms in this particular bag, and I gave her all the other colors instead? Would it matter? I was still sharing, after all. Another question crossed my mind. Do I really have enough blue M&Ms to share? Is it really quite reasonable or required of me to give her some of these blue M&Ms when there are so few of them for me? I could probably get away with not sharing these ones, right, when there's hardly enough to go around? This may sound like a childish example, But these are the questions that we face as adults every single day. Whether we're being asked for money by a homeless person on a street corner, or for a little extra patience from the people who have to sit with us in an unexpected traffic jam when we are in a hurry. When and to whom are we really required to give? And how much is enough? And these questions, they only get tougher and more complicated the older we get, you know. Ren and I, we have some friends, Robert and Sarah, who invited us over for dinner a few years back uh, when I first started making sourdough bread for the first time. Now, Robert, he's this hardcore Italian, and they were inviting us over for this authentic Italian meal that they were cooking for us from scratch, this homemade meal with homemade pasta and prosciutto and marinara sauce that they got from the Italian market in Philadelphia. The whole bit, they had traveled all the way there to get these ingredients for us. And Robert, he had been asking me for months to let him try some of my sourdough bread. So when I asked them what we could bring for dinner, I almost knew what he was going to request. The week before the dinner was scheduled, I started preparing the sourdough, which I had made a thousand times before. You have to prepare a starter first. It takes blood, sweat, and tears and all kinds of energy throughout a whole week to make this. But somehow, the batch of this particular bread, everything went wrong. The starter wasn't super bubbly. It wasn't yeasty enough. I tried to use it anyway, but of course, the bread, it didn't rise in the proofing basket the way that I needed it to. I stuck it in the Dutch oven, and then I found out midway through baking that my oven wasn't calibrated right. And so when I took the loaf out, the bottom of it was crispy black, And I thought to myself as I looked at this stupid loaf, how in the world am I going to take this to them? I can't contribute this to an authentic Italian meal. It's going to ruin it. It's going to be so embarrassing. There's no way this bread is good enough to give to them. More than that, If I'm being honest, I was worried that Robert and Sarah were going to think that after all this time I was a crappy baker, as if all of a sudden I was now competing on America's Top Chef. And my motivation for baking the bread was to receive some acknowledgement or reward or accolade rather than a desire to contribute or the gift of genuine friendship and hospitality. We do this all the time, don't we? Refrain from giving because we tell ourselves that what we have isn't enough 
or we give for what we might get in return? Do we ever fail to give some of our time to offer it to another person because we think we are bad company or are a bother? Do we ever talk ourselves out of offering our talents because we think they aren't needed or that somebody else could do it better or we just don't have time? Do we ever give simply because we hope it will make us look good or feel better about our lives or give us something to write off on our taxes? For most of us, giving becomes so complicated as we get older, which is probably why most of us have such trouble talking about it in the church or anywhere else. But I guess that's what's so intriguing for me about this particular story. See, because for this family of honor that didn't really have a lot, giving doesn't really feel all that complicated. They just do it. They give what they've got, they take a risk and throw a party, and they hope for the best. They didn't make it complicated. Maybe they rolled out everything they had the night before and prayed that their neighbors would come through and contribute just enough to make things last. Maybe the family knew that all they had out back were those old stone water jugs. And if worse came to worse and the wine ran out, they would fill them up and serve water to their guests, and that would just have to do. They didn't seem to need the best wine or a lavish buffet spread or the most money in the bank to find a reason to give. They gave for one very simple reason. They were so grateful. They gave because they came together to celebrate the good news of a love that found its way deep into their bones and inspired them to live and hope and give to each other abundantly. And it made them want to throw a party. And it makes me wonder, what party are we throwing here at the UMC in Madison? What love, what good news has worked its way so deep into our bones that it gives us a reason to celebrate? What is it that inspires our mission as a community and as individuals to get up out of bed every day and invite people to join in? Do we have resources that are already at our disposal waiting to be used as individuals and as a community, resources that can be used to inspire and build new relationships and serve community needs and offer hope to others? Do we even know what they are? Or do we spend so much time worrying about when and where and how much is required of us? of how much we have versus how much we invest versus how much we give and when it's enough and what the return will be and what we don't have that we forget to maybe just take a risk and throw a party and see who shows up. 
As I look around this room, I see gifts and talents and graces abounding that God has made available to us, maybe to throw a rager. But if we stopped seeing each and every one of them for their potential, do we have water jugs out back, old resources that we've hidden away or that we've forgotten about that we need to dust off and bring before God and ask how we might use them? This may sound a little careless to our modern-day sensibilities, but according to this story, Jesus honors it. What little this family had, it was blessed, it was multiplied, and it changed the course of their lives. And in fact, most Bible experts would say that the point of this passage is not really about this family or the wedding or the wine at all. It's about what this sign reveals about who Jesus is for the world. In this story, Jesus reveals a God who chooses to throw a party, who takes a risk and gives abundantly in the hope that love won't ever run out and calls each of us to do the same. You know that decrepit loaf of bread that I was telling you about that I did not want to take to Robert and Sarah's that day? Well, I ended up bringing it to their house. When we arrived, I sort of sheepishly handed it over to them, and they led us to a table where this beautiful Italian meal had been prepared and was laid out for us. And as Robert took the first piece of this bread and put it in his mouth, I began to apologize for its sorry state when all of a sudden I was stopped short. Because Robert's eyes were welling with tears. As Robert sat across from me, he told me about how many years ago his grandfather used to make sourdough bread just like this one. And the taste of it had brought him back to those days. When he was five years old and sitting around his grandfather's dinner table, one of the few times he remembers feeling so full of love and peace in his whole life. What I gave it might not have been a whole lot by my standards. But it was blessed that day. It was multiplied. And it changed his life. At least a little. Choosing to give, it doesn't have to be complicated. We're just invited to give. And I believe that when we do, God will honor it, and bless it, and multiply it right before our very eyes. Amen.